Welcome to the Ditching Perfection podcast, a podcast that will help you pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. I'm your host, Carly Bartlett, and along the way, we're going to have some raw conversations and share some practical tips that will remind you to throw some confetti and celebrate yourself. Your inner critic does not have to be the dominant voice in your life anymore. Well, hey friends, as you have probably heard, my family and I are traveling around Europe for 10 weeks this spring. My husband, Mike, is a university professor and he's on sabbatical this semester. So we were able to figure out my ministry schedule, come up with a plan for our girls' schooling. We have our house and our dog taken care of. And so when all of those pieces of the puzzle were coming together, we were like, absolutely, yes, let's go for it and do a trip of a lifetime. And we are doing it. And I am just overjoyed. We are so excited to immerse ourselves in cultures both familiar and new to us. We're excited to eat crepes and visit art museums and go on long walks and and unplug and be together as a family and make memories that I know will last a lifetime. But I hope that you'll follow along with me as I share our adventures on Instagram at Carly Communicates. But while we're traveling, I figured it would be fun to share some past sermons, which I preached in a wide variety of contexts. So I'm pulling those from my archives. And I'll tell you what, preaching is truly one of my favorite things in the whole world. I am passionate about preaching and how God forms us through times when we open scripture together. I believe that happens in church contexts, and I believe that it can happen here in the Ditching Perfection community. So I hope that the sermons in this series encourage you as you pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. And by the way, if you ever need a preacher for an event at your church, university, retreat, or camp, please reach out to me. You can connect with me at carlycommunicates.com and click the connect button. I am booking the fall of 2024 in into 2025 now, and I'd love to chat with you about your event and how we could potentially link arms and It would just be a joy for me to support your God-given vision. Well, with all of that said, let's dive into today's sermon, which I originally preached at Northwest Nazarene University in the winter of 2023 during their Advent Chapel on Hope. About a month ago, I was gathered with some young adults and some others from our church. We were d- at downtown. Maybe some of you have heard of downtown before or been there. Um, it's a gathering that we have for young adults every other Sunday night right across the street from Flying M at Real Life. It was about 5.30. Our, our gathering started at 6 o'clock, and we were praying for our evening. I was with Ryan and Noah Rarick and some others praying for our evening, and the doors, the doors swung open. And a woman came in looking incredibly distressed. She'd never been to downtown before, but she just came in asking for help. She was in a desperate situation. But as I looked at her face, I realized that she looked familiar to me. Because my family and I and our small group from our church have been, we have been um, at the women's shelter here in town every month leading chapels and dinners. And so I remembered this woman. I'll call her Nancy. And so as she's in the midst of her distress and telling her story, I said, Nancy, I know you. I've been at the shelter. I've, I've seen you. My family and I have I've served dinner there. And she just had this ease that came over her. And then we said, hey, you know what? We're, we're about to have this worship service. We're having dinner. Why don't you just come and eat with us? 
So what she thought was this random parking lot that she pulled into full of desperation, she walked in through a door of hope where she was invited to the family table. She sat with maybe even some of you that night. You didn't know the whole story. And she felt like family. We went and filled up her car afterwards. I found her, we were able to find her a safe place to stay that night. And as I was leaving this friend at the safe place, I just said, hey, can I pray for you? She reached out her hands and she gripped my hand so tightly and tears filled her eyes. I started to cry too. And I said, I just want you to know that you are seen, known, valued, and loved by God. That this was not a coincidence that you just happened to walk in here. You, God brought you here where you were known, where we already have been a part of your story. And God is writing a story of restoration in your life. And you need to know that you are not forgotten. You are seen, known, significant, and loved by God. In that moment, my soul, my friend Nancy's soul, we felt our worth. Just like we sang in that song today about our soul feeling its worth, that is our true desire, isn't it? We really want to feel worthy, loved, significant, seen, and known, but sometimes... There are messages, there are things happening in our lives that make us feel like we are not worthy. Make our souls feel unworthy of love. Maybe even some of you today walk in and your soul is desperate to feel worth. Maybe you find your worth and your worth is tied up in your grades and things are not looking so hot at this time in the semester. And it's making you feel unworthy. Maybe it's how you're performing athletically or maybe artistically. Things are just not adding up to the ways that you want and you're feeling insecure. Maybe for others of you, you're feeling unnoticed, forgotten. Maybe you even see your friends posting things on social media and you're not a part of it. And yes, we talk about FOMO, but FOMO is real and it actually can even make us feel like we are undervalued, betrayed, forgotten, and not enough. Or maybe others of you are craving for your soul to feel worth today because the voice of shame is so loud in your life. Maybe there are past mistakes or maybe even some addictions or habits that you have right now that are causing you to feel unworthy, insignificant, and devalued. Well, today... As we begin this Advent season together, we are going to look at a very unexpected passage in Scripture in Matthew chapter 1. But as we do, I believe that we will be reminded today that our souls have worth. We are going to be reminded today that Jesus is inviting us to be a part of the family, that we can be freed from the things that hold us back, and because of those things, we can have great hope for the future. Because I believe our feelings of worthiness and hope are completely intertwined. And today, Jesus is reminding us that we have great worth. So we're going to look, like I said, at a very unexpected passage in Matthew chapter 1. It's the genealogy of Jesus. We're going to put that up on the screen. And as we begin, you'll see that we begin this Matthew's entire gospel, he begins it like this. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And you're going, oh my word, is she going to read all those names? No, I'm not. I'm not. But 
Even though this is like this really overwhelming, humongous list of names, there's such good news for us today in it. And I, I think that we need to realize too, just to pull back for a second and talk about the value of genealogies, especially in this, the ancient times. So genealogies were like putting out somebody's resume. So, so they would say, okay, this is how I'm going to show that I've got it all together. And so I'll tell you what, people would oftentimes cross people out of their genealogies that weren't, you know, the shiny good family member, you know, that weird, that weird one a couple, that weird grandpa a couple phases back, they could just cross that person out. Herod the Great did this. We know that this was very common, but Matthew starts this entire gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with this genealogy that is completely different than the genealogies were typically written. Because there's a lot of people in here that were total messes, that had made such big mistakes, that had nothing valuable in the eyes of the world. And then what I really appreciate too about this is that there are five women included in the genealogy. And women were never, like rarely ever included in genealogies because women weren't valued in that time. But here we have five women. We have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, who was Bathsheba, and Mary. And the fact that these women were included is significant. And let's just take a look at their stories a little bit. First of all, we come across the name Tamar. Tamar was a woman who wanted so desperately to be worthy. She had been widowed twice. Her, her husband's family, who was supposed to take care of her, betrayed her and left her, manipulated things so that she was no longer taken care of. And this lady was desperate for security and inclusion. And so she ended up using trickery in order to grapple for that security and then ended up exposing the hypocrisy of her father-in-law, who was a, a leader in their community. Not like a crisp, clean, sweet little story. Then we have Rahab, a woman who struggled to find hope in a culture that was not built to support women. And the only way that she felt like she could have any hope for her future was to enter into short-term toxic relationships. Only night after night to be left and abandoned, feeling more and more worthless. Then there's Ruth. Ruth lost her husband her father-in-law, her brother-in-law. There was no financial covering for her and her mother-in-law anymore. She was desperate, so she found herself in the field just grabbing the scraps along the pathway, anything she could just to survive. She was looked down upon. She was considered an outsider, and she was misunderstood. Then we have Uriah's wife. It's really interesting that Matthew writes it and says Uriah's wife, putting this massive spotlight on the fact that King David took advantage of a woman named Bathsheba, ripped her out of her home because of his own selfishness, because he wanted her. He objectified her. Then he sent his, her, her husband out to be the, at the front of the military lines, and he was killed. So she's sitting in grief, she's being taken advantage of and abused, and she has to put on a smiley, happy face because she's the new queen. None of these stories are sweet, hallmark-like stories. And finally, we get to Mary. 
Mary, the young woman whose life plans were interrupted by God. She became pregnant with the Son of God. What a gift, but at the same time, what a challenge and a hardship. She was misunderstood. Joseph wanted to quietly divorce her. Her family was very likely probably ashamed of her. And it's through her, though, through a woman, that God brought about the Savior of the world. And Matthew wanted us to see that all of these women are included, messes and all. And honestly, all the men in the passage, messes and all. Because we all are invited, no matter what, to the family of God to be renewed, restored, and redeemed. The soul felt its worth. So I wonder today, do you resonate with any of those stories? Do you resonate with any of the women in the genealogy that we talked about? And is your soul craving worth today? Do you feel like you have to prove yourself to be included? For me, I I struggle with perfectionism. It's a thing. And the Lord is bringing a lot of restoration in my life and story, but I am learning to untangle my identity and my worth and my value from the things that I do. That I don't have to find my worth in my failures or my successes, my striving or my sense of control. I am simply loved, just like all of these women in the story and just like you because I am a child of God. And so are you. So that's one of the pieces of good news that we see in this story. The soul felt its worth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared. It's all about Jesus. And the soul felt its worth. But not only do we feel a sense of worth because we're invited into the family, but this passage also reminds us that we can be set free. In the very end of the genealogy, in Matthew 1.17, Matthew writes this. And he, wants us, he, he points this out because he wants us to really be aware of this. He says, so there were 14 generations from Adam to David. 14 generations from David to the exile of Babylon. And then 14 generations from the exile to Babylon to Christ. Okay, it's kind of a weird fact. Why would Matthew put all of this together and point this out to us? Well, many scholars believe that it has to do with the idea of jubilee. So stick with me for a minute. So basically what we're seeing here is that there are six sets of seven, right? So we had three fourteens. If we divide that up, we've got six sets of sevens. And Jesus' arrival marks the beginning of the seventh seven, Now, in Mosaic law in the Old Testament, every seven years, farmers were told to rest and let the land replenish. Then in Leviticus 25, we read that the last year of the seventh period of sevens, so that 49th year, is what they called Jubilee. And at the time of Jubilee, slaves were set free, debts were forgiven, there was rest for the land and for the people, and everyone was given back what was originally theirs the land, the property. So the way the genealogy of Jesus is written in Matthew not only shows us these these women that may have been disqualified, but now it shows us that Jesus is the beginning of the seventh seven, which means that Jesus is the embodiment of the jubilee. Now, 
don't, I mean, you don't seem excited. I think that's pretty cool. Jesus is the embodiment of the Jubilee because here's the thing. This whole idea of Jubilee, that's what it was. It was an idea. They had never been able to pull this off before. It was this idea that slaves could be forgiven, that debts, that, or excuse me, slaves could be freed and debts would be forgiven, all of these things. Good idea. They never did it. But Jesus came and he became the embodiment of the Jubilee. And we read this in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus is in the temple, he unrolled the scroll. We read it starting in verse 17. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus said these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim jubilee. He rolled up the scroll. He gave it to the synagogue, back to the synagogue assistant and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. They're thinking, what did he just say? And then he began to explain to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Jesus came to be the embodiment of Jubilee. His arrival that first Christmas ushered in the kingdom of God in a whole new way, a kingdom that still today brings forgiveness. We can be set free from the shackles of sin and shame. Jesus' arrival that first Christmas brought about forgiveness. Jesus' arrival that first Christmas brought about rest in a way that we don't have to strive. We don't have to try so hard. We can just be and rest in the grace of God. And then Jesus' arrival that first Christmas brings about a restoration of value to everybody. To you to the person sitting next to you, to the people in your community who may feel forgotten, Jesus' arrival brings about a restoration of value to everyone. And Jesus brought this about, but the thing is, it keeps happening. Advent reminds us to wait, though, for complete restoration. That these kind of stories of restoration are still happening, but you also flip on the news and you read that the world is still very weary And there's still a lot of brokenness and a lot of oppression. But when we realize that we are part of the family of God, that we are not not disqualified, but we are included, when we know that we can be free and have rest, then when our soul feels its worth, then that changes the way we wait for complete restoration to come when Jesus comes again in fullness to make everything new. It changes the way we wait. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see our circumstances. And it changes the way that we see others. We can have hope for the future. When we know our soul has worth, we can share that hope with others. Some of my friends, their names are Pete and Heidi. They have a really unique tradition every Christmas Eve that I just think is so cool. So every, every November, uh, right after Thanksgiving, 
they decide where they want to go eat on Christmas Eve. Many people go out to eat uh, after Christmas Eve service, and they have made this a part of their tradition. But they decide early where they want to go because then they call the restaurant, which I think is often the Cheesecake Factory. Love it. Um, (laughs) But they call the Cheesecake Factory, and they say, hey, we want to come eat on Christmas Eve. First of all, can we have a reservation? But second of all, is there someone on your wait staff that is going through a really difficult time this year? And always, the manager has someone in mind. And they say, can you tell us about this person, their family, their needs, the ages of their kids, what they want for Christmas? And so the manager and Pete and Heidi, they get to work planning a Christmas party for this person on the wait staff. So they go and they buy, they get their adult kids. Some of their, their kids are in college. Some of them are recent grads. But they get all their young adult kids and they go to work. They buy presents. They get balloons and party hats and kazoos and the whole thing. And confetti. I love confetti. They have confetti too. They go to the restaurant with their arms full of gifts. They sit down. They, they know the manager. The manager knows what's going on. They sit down in the particular waiter or waitress's area with all these things. And the, and the waiter comes to start taking their order. But then the manager pulls up an extra seat. And then Pete and Heidi and their kids put on the party hats. They give them one and they say, this party is for you. For this person who is trying so hard to make ends meet that they're working on Christmas Eve, they get to sit down and open gifts for them that are specific for them. They get to take home presents for their children that are specific for them. And in that moment, their soul feels worth. Because Pete and Heidi and their kids know their worth, they can extend hope to others to remind them that they are seen, known, valued, and significant too. Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. See, throwing parties for perfect strangers does not make sense in the eyes of the world, but it makes total sense in the kingdom of God. So as we finish today, I want to ask you, who in your life needs to be reminded that they are worthy of love? Is it you? Did you come in today feeling unworthy, unseen, insignificant? If so, Know that just as much as God's arms were open wide to Tamar, to Rahab, to Ruth, to Bathsheba, and to Mary, God's arms are open wide to you today. Drawing you in from what seems like random parking lots to the family table, reminding you that you are seen and valued. Freedom and restoration is possible. And if you need to know that today, hear loud and clear that God wants to remind you of your worth. But also this, this Christmas season, there are probably many other people around you that need to be reminded of their worth too. It might be the person sitting next to you, your roommate, maybe friends from high school that you will see in just a couple weeks when you head back home. Maybe it's a, a parent or a sibling. 
Maybe it's a barista, that cashier at Target who is real tired after Black Friday. Or maybe it's a waiter or a waitress on Christmas Eve that needs to know that they are seen, known, valued as well. How can you embody Jubilee and help others have a hope-filled vision for their future too? As the song says that we sang together earlier, the world is weary indeed. But because of Jesus, we can recognize our worth and be swept up into the story of hope. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. If this message was encouraging or helpful for you, I would invite you to share it with a friend. You never know how sending something along that resonated with you may be just the thing that someone else needs to hear today. As we finish our time together, I want to thank my brother Chris Peck for producing the episodes in this Sermon Archive series. And that's all I have for you today. I hope to connect with you on Instagram this week as I continue to share my European adventures. And I will be back to share another sermon with you here next Tuesday.